Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. say this in any sense of false humility I'm always humbled to have an invitation to preach anywhere but there's no place I would rather stand than where I'm standing right now and I say that with great deference to every pulpit I've been privileged to stand behind thank you for your prayers this weekend the Lord did some tremendous things and maybe uh, this weekend or a later date we'll share some of that with you I appreciate those who Speaking in our behalf on Sunday, appreciate Brother Jerry and Brother Everett and uh, the good reports. Always good to hear those things. Amen. The book of Lamentations, chapter 3 and verse number 22 and 23. I will, again, read two verses tonight. I'm going to go from Lamentations to Psalms, but if you'll just join me in Lamentations, and if you want to, you can just put your finger there. Stick something there because we're going to go back to Lamentations uh, as we conclude tonight. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse number 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Well, we could just stop right there. I promise you and I'm not being humorous or attempt to being humorous when I tell you that we could read those two verses and dismiss and go home. Amen. What a faithful promise. Amen. It is the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. Just when we think we're going to face a Savior with folded arms and a furrowed brow, we look up only to see extended hands of mercy. Amen. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. David, in the 89th Psalm, simply said this, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I will not be quieted. I'm just going to talk about the goodness of the Lord. God's been faithful to me. It would seem a little random tonight, but I could ask how many people would agree that God has been faithful. Amen. God has been faithful. Young and old alike, we can say that God has been so faithful to me. He's never failed. Amen. That's what I want to talk about this evening, God's faithfulness. You may be seated. God is faithful to his promises because his promises represent his covenant with mankind. What God has said, he will settle. What God has placed upon us, humanity, as a promise, 
you can just take that to the bank, as someone once would say. Amen, if we'll be true to his word, if we will be true to him, I think it's fair that we could paint outside of those lines, but certainly if we are true to him, he is faithful to us. We are certainly living in a time of much shaking. There is a lot of uncertainty. Our world just seems to be blanketed every day, bombarded with newscasts that do not just report to us trivial matters, but they are, and, do, and they do not just report to us matters on foreign soil. But we are facing some very, very serious times in the United States of America. I do not use this podium or this platform. I try never to use this platform as a political stage. But I'm going to tell you, if you have ever prayed about an election, the church had better be on our face on election day. Amen. We need the hand of God to guide us. I'm telling you, great minds of men are scratching their head. Men of renown and men and women who know are marked with uncertainty in their hearts. We are living in a very uncertain time. Tensions mount because the moral foundation of our world is crumbling. And I'm not being negative tonight. I'm just telling it like it is. Many people question the basic principles of honesty and faithfulness and diligence and we look around us and we see at an all-time high the breakdown of the American home and, and if your home is not broken tonight, you have a lot to be thankful for because you are certainly in a, a, a fast pay, a, a closing gap of being in a minority. And so the enemy is after the family and so that's why we... We must, with everything and every fiber of our being, understand the value of being able to trust in the Lord. I, I, I've seen this many times when, when people have, have looked to us or perhaps you've experienced the same thing for words of wisdom or for some sort of word of instruction where our vocabulary failed us and we said we are going to take this to God in prayer. I've, I've watched countenances of people drop because they just sort of assume that we're just writing them off. But can I tell you that there's no greater place to take our problems than to God in prayer. And so don't ever feel like that we can not talk to God and his faithful ear and his faithful concern will not be readily available to us. Unstable governments around us are and, and are staggering with deficits and we find ourselves again as a nation on the brink of an economic collapse. This is where we are. This is where we are. It's against this backdrop that we live every day wondering when will the ax fall or when will this house of cards all be blown to dust. It's against this backdrop that we live every day. But I'm thankful that there is a source of strength that I can turn to. Amen. I am so thankful that when I kneel in prayer, I know I'm talking to a God who can do something about my situation. Amen. I'm not meaning that, just toss that out. I'm telling you, I'm thankful that we have a God that we can talk to, that we can confer with, that we can lay our troubles in his hands and know that he will faithfully be concerned about our situation. There is an anchor 
that keeps us secure in the face of all of the adversity and certainly in the face of uncertainty. We have a reason to hold on to the faithfulness of God. I grew up hearing a song that said, hold to God's unchanging hand. It just seems like a song. It just seemed like something that you do as a part of your worship and your praise and service. But I'm gonna tell you, the longer I live, the more relevance that song has to me just hold to God's unchanging hand. It's that hand that never wavers. It's that hand that's never intimidated by the circumstances of life. As Brother Rayleigh said, it's only Wednesday to us. <laughs> God, is he has the whole world in control. It's only where we are to us. God has it all in control. God alone is the unchanging factor in the equation that we call life. And so when we don't hold him at the center of our lives, then something vital is missing, and you can rest assured that something is gonna be out of balance. We've gotta have God at the center of our life, not just something that we do when we have time or that fits in. Amen, we, we can't just pray and be, we can't just pray and be a part of the word of God when it's convenient or even be in church when it's convenient or worship and participate in the service if we feel like it. God has got to be the center of everything we are because if he is not in the center, then everything else is out of balance. Something critical is missing. But when we exalt God, and we put him and keep him in that rightful place, we understand that he is the solution to all of life's problems. Both in the New Testament and the Old present many, many witnesses to verify and uh, validate the reliability of not only God, but his word, which of course are one and the same. We understand that we have many, many witnesses, so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer of Hebrews referred to them as, that verify that you can count on God. If the Lord said it, he is not a respecter of persons. And so if he would move for Abraham, he will move for me. If he will move for Sarah, then he will move for me. And so I'm gonna put my faith and my confidence and my trust in him. Joshua was an outstanding leader. He followed Moses as a leader of the people of Israel. And so from from the very first, he exercised a complete trust and dependence upon God and upon the promises of God that had already been given to generations before him. And so Joshua wasn't just holding on to a Rema word of God or a fresh word of God. Certainly the Lord had moved in Joshua's life, but he was holding on to a word that had been given to generations before that had been spoken to Abraham when he was still a resident of Ur of Chaldees. Joshua was holding on to that. He was a man of prayer, but he was also a man of action. And so through his efforts, Israel was able to conquer and settle the land of Canaan. Just prior to his death, he testified before the people by saying this in Joshua 23 and 14. He said, not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you and not one thing has failed thereof. Did you catch that? Joshua's the last chapter of his life. 
He is about to leave this world and he turns around and he faces those faithful followers and he said, I just want you to know one thing, that everything the Lord said he would do, he has done. He has made himself true and sure in our world. Amen, I wanna just turn to this congregation and tell us that same thing, that everything the Lord has spoke concerning us, amen, they have come to pass and not one thing has failed. There may be some that haven't arrived but they're well on their way this evening because God's word never fails. His words are the testimony to the faithfulness of God. Joshua was reminding them about the faithfulness of the God they were serving. David was another of Israel's leaders who discovered that you can count on God. You can trust him at his word. Amen. You can put your faith in what his word says to you. And you know what? You can't put your faith in a whole lot today. <laughs> when, we were, when we were leaving Saturday, uh, somehow or another, I had forgotten to take a bottle of vitamins. I take uh, a little vitamin every day, and so that's important to me, even if it's just psychological. So I, I uh, <laughs> and so I thought, well, I, I want to stop. I'll get another, I'll get another bottle. And uh, so I went into Walgreens, and I walked down the aisle, and I saw the familiar bottle on the shelf. But at the top of the label, there was a, there was an additional band that went around the label and it was all in yellow and the letters were in red and it looked really cool and it said value size. Well, who doesn't love a value? Value size. Well, it looked somewhat to me like the same size bottle but but the value size. Value size. The price seemed to be the same and so I, I, I bought the vitamins and so when we got home from our trip, I, I just couldn't help it. I had this value size on my mind. I just, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying I stayed up at night while we were going over this, but I will tell you that it was in the back of my mind. And so we had only been home just a few minutes. This is a, this is a pitiful truth. As I'm, telling this, as I'm telling this, I'm not even sure why I'm admitting this, but I go in where the, where the bottle is and I retrieve it and I pull them out and I hold them up, I hold them up and they're the same exact size. And I'm going, what in the world? They're the same exact size. And then when I examined them a little bit closer, the value size had exactly 20 less capsules in it. <laughs> you just can't trust. Just because, it's, just because it's a yellow band and red letters, it doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't, it doesn't mean a thing. i I have felt so ripped off and I'm thankful I got that off my chest and I'll probably be a whole lot, whole lot better, I'll be a better leader after this is all said and done. But the word of God, Joshua says you can trust him. You can put your confidence in him. David said you can depend on the Lord. Now David certainly had dark days. There's no one here that would deny that. But he had learned how to lean on the powerful and unchanging, unwavering hand of God. And in some of his final words, David proclaimed the faithfulness of God. In 2 Samuel 22 and 31, he says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. You can count on God. 
God is true. His, his word is true. His word contains nothing less than absolute accuracy. And we marvel at the absolute precision of the word of God. His word that is displayed everywhere about us every day, we see the word of God in action. We see the word of God in nature, the accuracy of the earth and the heavens. Because, the accuracy, because of that accuracy, it has allowed mankind to measure time. The tides that ebb and flow exactly as God set them from the beginning of time are still doing today what they were doing the first day. James, in chapter 1, verse 17, said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Here's something so important. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The Bible talks about not meddling with men that are that are subject to change. He said, Don't don't meddle with those things that are subject to change. Don't put your confidence and your trust there that are subject to change. But he said, In God, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. God said it. He said it, he meant it. I can put my whole confidence, I can stake everything I own on that. We can stand on his word and his word alone. The gospel of John contains a number of key statements in which Jesus used to identify himself. In various ways, he used the the phrase, I am. I am followed by varying descriptions and many of you would recognize most of them. For example, in John 8 and 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In John 10 and 9, he said, I am the door. He is the bread. He is the way. He is the light. On and on and on. Amen. The Bible says in John 14 and 6, he said, he is the truth. He is the truth. Now that is something that's, that, that most people are, are in pursuit of on some level, on any given day, the truth. Jesus Christ is presented in the introduction in the book of Revelation with great honor. John, who once had seen the Lord rejected, who had seen him crucified, now sees them through a vision on the Isle of Patmos, but he is not now dejected. He is not now crucified, but he is now in great splendor. The exiled disciple declared that Jesus declared Jesus Christ and he called him this in Revelation 1 and 5, the faithful witness. You can put your trust in God. Here's what we're going to do. We can only hope in the education of man. We can only hope that everything will work out when we place our lives in the hands of men or women that we may refer to as experts. But John said about this man called Jesus, he is a faithful witness. You can cash it all in, you can stand on he and he alone. It is enough. The harsh realities of John's own exile began to fade as he beheld the Lamb of God. Where he was, what he was experiencing just all seemed to fade in the splendor of the beauty of the Lord. It was there that Jesus gave him instructions to write to the seven churches of Asia. In Revelation 3, he was instructed to write to the church of Laodicea. Though they were self-confident, the Bible says this church was wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now that's not how they would have assessed themselves. That's not how they would have written it down. That's not how they would have liked to have been remembered in history. But Jesus said, 
through to John to write to them, amen, that you think you've got it all together. You think you are all of this, but you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Many scholars regard Laodicea as a type of the church age before the rapture. I would tend to agree with that. That sometimes we feel like we've got it all together and we know not that we are wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. I'm going to tell you that if God were to lift his presence from this house tonight, this would be a miserable place to be. I know that I'm not alone in this, but a moment ago as we begin to worship the Lord, I'm talking about from the first key, from the very first note, from the very first word. I felt the presence of God. Oh, what a refreshing. Amen, I needed to feel that refreshing at 7.30. It didn't come a minute, not even a second too soon to feel the power and the presence of the Lord. And I say, dear Lord, help me tonight to understand that we cannot do this without you. I nailed it this altar before church and said, Lord, please walk with me to this pulpit tonight because I cannot do it without you. I don't even want to try to do it without you. We need the presence of the Lord. What we felt a moment ago when we began this service was the faithfulness of God. He said in his word, where two or three are gathered together in my name. Hallelujah. I'm not gonna stand around the outside and look in the end, but he said, I will be in your midst. I'm glad to be serving amidst God tonight, a God that I can reach out and touch, not a God I can just see on the outside peering in at where I am, and, but I am glad to be serving a God in our midst. In his personal description of himself to the, to the Laodicean congregation, Jesus Christ called himself the Amen the faithful, the true witness in, John, in Revelation 3.14. He said, I am the amen. I am the faithful. I am the true witness. He is the faithful and the true witness upon which mankind can depend. You can put your trust in him. God's word is faithful. His word is true. Amen. You know what I'm preaching tonight? I'm preaching his word. You know what I'm declaring tonight? I'm declaring his word. I haven't come to tell you what I think. I haven't come to tell you how I feel. I just come to tell you what you can do tonight. You can put your trust in his word. Praise God forevermore. Praise God forevermore. You know, we have times where the Lord allows his word to be spoken, maybe a prophetic utterance. And you know, those things don't happen in our lives every day, nor should they, not designed to happen in our lives every minute of every day, so to speak. But I'm gonna tell you that I have had a word of prophecy over my life that came to pass just as God spoke it to be. What an amazing thing, his word, his word. I remember being in a conference one night and, and I was called down to the front by, uh, actually was a friend, a minister friend who knew nothing. Uh, we, uh, I should maybe say an acquaintance because he certainly didn't know anything that was going on in my life. And he said, I just feel prompted to tell you. I mean, there were no angels around. I didn't feel any brush of angels' wings, didn't feel the wind blowing, hearing any thunder. But he said, I just feel like telling you that there's gonna be a major change in your life in six months. And I'm gonna tell you six months from the day that I was standing there, there was 
a major change for the good in my life. Amen. His word, you can count on it. It doesn't always come to us packaged that way. It doesn't always come to us that way, but we have it right here. Amen. And what this book says is just as sure as what that man of God told me on that night. Amen. If God said it, it is already settled. It is already settled. God is faithful. Yes, he is. God is faithful. Even for Laodicea, he was saying, there is hope. I am the amen. I am the faithful. I am the true witness. He stood right outside the door and he knocked. Truth stood knocking at the door. Only truth can save us. Hear me tonight. Only truth can sanctify us. Only truth can set us free. Truth. We need the truth. The gospel does not simply reform people. It doesn't just improve people, in other words, but it transforms them. It changes us. And so we didn't come to the Lord and just get improved. <laughs> we came to the Lord and we got, we got transformed. We got changed. Don't think like I used to think. Don't act like I used to act. I don't walk like I used to walk. Talk, there is a defined, a marked difference in our life because the Spirit of the Lord reformed, the Spirit of the Lord transformed. He changed us. According to 2 Peter, Simon said it this way. He said the Word takes people out of darkness and leads them into his marvelous light. And so I think that that transformation in our life ought to be evident by the least scholarly person in the world. Somebody who doesn't even know where to find the book of Genesis or somebody who doesn't know where to find the book of Matthew. Amen, someone who doesn't even know the names of the disciples or two names of the disciples. Amen, they ought to be able to say, you know what? That man, that woman, that young person, that young lady, that young man, there's just something different about their lives. There's been a marked difference. What caused that was truth the truth of God's word, amen, out of darkness into his marvelous light. When Jesus Christ came to the world, when Jesus Christ came, there was a prevailing, and I don't really like the use of this word, but it's true, there was a prevailing ignorance, spiritual ignorance of God's way. When Jesus came, he came into a very spiritually dark time. Understandably that there have been some grains of truth scattered about by the scribes and the Pharisees. There was some truth mixed in, but they gave such much more thought and insight and effort to the attention of formality and the traditions of men. But John understood there is someone coming that's going to be light in this dark world. He declared that there's one coming after me. I can only baptize you into repentance, but there's one coming after me who is mightier than I that's gonna baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen, there was something coming. There were, there were some truth. Jesus was gonna come and he was gonna connect those dots. He was gonna pull those grains of truth together. Amen, the scripture said in John 1 and 5, and the light shineth into, in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Oh, oh, what an insight, what an insightful, insightful statement that the light shined into darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. Amen, what was going on? What is happening here with the incarnation of Christ? John stated in John 1 and 1 that the word was God. 
What was the meaning then of the word made flesh when you get down to John 1 and 14? To be sure that the word made flesh, amen, a subordinate did not come to represent the Almighty. The supreme eternal God came himself in absolute fulfillment of Matthew one twenty three, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted is God with us. Amen. The Almighty became flesh. God in the, in, the, in the form of human flesh of Jesus Christ. He walked up and down those dusty streets. It was God in the form of flesh of Jesus Christ that opened the eyes of the blind and unstopped the deaf ears and caused the lame to walk again. Hallelujah. People who had known nothing but darkness at once began to see great light. For the first time, for the first time, they saw genuine, real hope. I want to tell you the night that in Bethlehem's manger came God in flesh. It was more than a manger. Hallelujah. It was God in flesh. When God, when God speaks, when God has spoken, it certainly come to pass. And I will tell you in present tense that when God speaks, it will come to pass. There is a finality to the way God speaks. His words are conclusive. His words just have a settled nature about them. Hundreds of accounts in the Bible illustrate the truthfulness of God's word. Despite adverse circumstances and despite human opinions, the final events always confirm the Lord's testimony. His judgments as well as his blessings are established in heaven. Amen. His word has been tried. His word has been proven. I feel very safe tonight to tell you that I could not just from this point forward, I could not just go to the word of God and use illustrations. But from this very congregation, I could talk about the tried word of God. I could take you to the pew of men and women where they are sitting tonight. And they could, with this microphone in their hand, talk about the tried and the proven word of God. Here is where I stood and the Lord had given me a word. He had given me a promise. Maybe his promise was something that was already in the book and I just held on to that promise and God stepped in and intervened on my behalf. I'm not talking about God as though he were a clerk behind the counter meeting our every whimsical need, but I'm talking about a God that made us a promise and then came through right on time. Solomon Solomon said it like this in the 30th chapter and the 5th verse. He said, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them who put their trust in him. The psalmist David used a very similar illustration in Psalms 12 and 6. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Solomon said, his words are pure. David said, his words are pure. Are they true? Amen, they're valuable. You can count on it. If the Lord has told us, he will bring it to fruition. Now I know that we all find ourselves along the journey with question marks that seem to plague our minds. God made some very powerful promises 
to a young man by the name of Joseph. And it was a long way from the dream to the fulfillment. And somewhere along that way, no doubt, he had days of wondering and perplexity. And, and, and did I really hear it? Is this how it happened? Is this really the way it, is this really the way it played out? I'm gonna tell you, that's why. That's why, for many reasons, at the, at the compelling of my wife for many, many years, she said, you need a journal. You ought to write, just write something in it every day. And it took her long, a long time to get me off of top dead center about that, but I'm so thankful that she did. And I'm gonna tell you, when the Lord gives me a promise, the first place that goes is in my journal. Amen, I'm gonna hold on to that. I'm gonna hold on to that. There were several years ago that the Lord gave me a promise through another ministry. I'm not even sure why I'm talking about all this tonight, but I feel God is in this. And it was a passage of scripture and I'm gonna tell you that in a very, very uh, discombobulated season of my life, every morning, every morning, the very first thing that I did was I got my Bible and I read that passage of scripture. I read every one of those verses and I read it again and I read it again and I read it again. It didn't seem like that the God who promised that was even within a million miles, if it's all right to tell you that, amen, concerning that, but I just went back because it was a promise. It was not just a passage of scripture, but it was a promise. And I would read it again and again and again. I'd love to tell you this this evening that the first time I read it, oh, that I just filled up with goosebumps and the Holy Ghost moved in. But I'm gonna tell you, many mornings I read that and it was just ink on paper. It was just words on paper. But you know what? It was more than that to me. It was a promise. I'm gonna hold on to it. I'm gonna pull it into my life. I'm gonna stand on it if everything around me stump, funk, crumbles, I'm gonna stand on this. His word is true. His word is proven. The ultimate degree and under the most drastic of circumstances, the words of God have been tested and they have been proven true. There is no doubt that our faith in God's word will ultimately be tested. I mean, you're gonna to have to do more than just say, hey man, that's right. All of us are gonna be called on to do more than that. We're gonna be called on to do more than just stand and clap our hands because the preacher hit a certain note. I like that. One of these days, God's gonna pull us out of the flock and say, well, we'll just see. And that word is gonna be tested in our own life. I'm not saying that to strike fear. I'm saying that to strike confidence in our heart. Amen. If we're to amount to anything worthwhile, then there has to be a spiritual refining of our life. Our confidence in God's faithfulness is gonna be tested at times, even in times of intense suffering. I stated last Wednesday night, according to 1 Peter 4, he said, think it not strange concerning these fiery darts which are to try you. In other words, he said, it's not a strange thing to encounter tests and trials. In light of what Jesus Christ had to endure for our salvation, our trials, I promise you, are, are little to nothing. But something we must understand about our tests, our tests that come our way is this, that when God tests us, he is not testing our intelligence and he is not testing our strength. These attributes, he already knows all about that because he gave them to us. We are fearfully, wonderfully made. The fiery trials that we encounter are tests of our confidence in his word. He's not trying to test the metal of our integrity. He already knows about that. 
He wants to test our confidence in his word. That's what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These faithful men were tested because he said, I want to see if you really believe what you say you believe. In the end, not only were they convinced, but Nebuchadnezzar declared that there was no other God that could deliver in that fashion. Concerning the validity of God's word, countless scenarios dot the landscape of this holy Bible I have opened in front of me tonight. For instance, to Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, it must have seemed like to them that their gods had certainly smiled on them that day. It must have seemed like to Pharaoh and every man in that Egyptian army that their gods, they are looking out for us. To the Israelites, without a doubt, it looked like tragedy. They've got the Red Sea in front of them. (laughs) They've got Pharaoh and all of his army behind them. Moses is saying it's going to be all right. Who was this Moses that he would be so presumptuous to speak for God? Without a doubt, they had followed the cloud by day and the fire by night, but not long after they had encamped at the Red Seas, the Hebrews felt trapped, and certainly they were. This was not a false insecurity. They were trapped. Behind them, they saw Pharaoh and 600 chosen chariots Before them, an uncrossable sea. Without wavering, Moses uttered a message that would prove not only to be true, but prophetic. And let's look at it. I know you're familiar with it. Moses 14 and 13, or Exodus rather, Exodus 14 and 13. The Bible says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you Today, for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, follow me now, the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them no more. You shall see them again no more forever. Turn around and get your eyes full. (laughs) Break out your paintbrush if you want to capture this because it's about to go away. You will see them no more forever. And in verse 14, he said, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. This experience wasn't to test the metal of what they were made of, who would cry, who would yell, who would shake, who would stand firm. Their experience, this experience was to test their confidence in the word of God. And in verse 29 of chapter 14, the Bible says, they walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand on their, and on their left. Now, I'm going to tell you the only reason we're not just spastic right here and running around this building, jumping out the windows, running all around this acreage is because we can't even comprehend that. And I, So I'm not being unkind, but I'm just telling you that we can't even comprehend the magnitude of that deliverance. That They didn't even wade through the mud and the mire. I've always loved that the scripture says they went across on dry ground. God marvelously delivered him just like he promised And if we examine God, his works, his ways, we discover he is always consistent. He will keep his covenants even when his people are are untrue. God will just be true. He is true. He is faithful. And speaking of Israel, Paul put things into perspective in this fashion in Romans 3 and 3. He said, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Just because somebody didn't believe, did that neutralize God and his ability, his power? No. 
He said, God forbid. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar as it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. His word is true. We can count on it. He's faithful. God has been faithful. Amen. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come. I've had the privilege, I would say probably the extreme privilege in my lifetime to know and meet so many wonderful, faithful, my vocabulary just staggers, men and women of God who have just served him for decades, highs and lows, good times and bad. And I'm going to tell you, and not for the sake of this message tonight, their consistent testimony is, God has been so faithful. He's been so faithful. There was no reprieve and no sign of mercy for the people of Noah's day. This was a generation that had finally sinned away their day of grace. The Lord had said in Genesis 6 and 7, and I'm telling you when we read this passage of Scripture, it to this day ought to cause the hair on the back of our neck to stand. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. God said, I am done. I'm done. The word translated destroy, ironically and interestingly to me at least, means to blot out or rub away. I will, it will be as though it never happened as though it never happened. Forty days of rain devastated people and animals alike as God poured out his judgment. However, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 7 that Noah had prepared an ark to the saving of his house. What an interesting phrase. It was a remarkable feat even for a man as faithful as Noah. According to 1 Peter 3 and 20, and you can read this as you'd like, but the Bible says the long suffering of God had caused him to wait for Noah to finish the ark. God said, Noah, when you nail the last nail, when you when you have slimed the last square foot, just it's it's over. Noah, or God rather, was waiting on Noah. And on the same day that Noah was shut into the ark, the wicked man was shut out of the ark. What a horrifying thought. Not content to just spare Noah and his family, the Lord established a covenant with them. He said, Noah, I, I, I understand how you're made. I made you. I understand how man has, how they think. And so I, I created that. I put that sense of wonder and that sense of question and I put a little bit of that anxiety in you. I created you. And so I'm, I'm going to make a covenant with you today. And he said, I, I, on this covenant is going to be established all about, all about this, that, that what you see happening, what you have lived through, what you've experienced, it will never happen again. I know, I know you know, and I know what you're made of, and I know that you will have the ability. Let's stand.
I know that you'll have the ability to say, well, you know, the sun's shining today, but I, I know the, the sky's blue today, and I know the birds are singing today, but what if it floods again? And so the Lord said, because I know you have a propensity to think like that, I'm, I'm going to make a covenant with you. He said, I want you and your whole family to know something. That you're not going to live in fear and dread every day, every time a dark cloud rolls in. And he said, here's my covenant with you. I'm going to set a rainbow in the sky. I'm going to set that bow there. And every time you see that, you can trust me. I'm giving you my word. I want to close by going back to where we started tonight the book of Lamentations. I know we've made a long lap around the track, but here we come. This is where we begin. The book of Lamentations could probably well be called uh, what a sad song, maybe. A sad eulogy for Jerusalem. A city that was had seen so much shame and, and, and seemingly forsaken. God had left her her children had been taken captive. And yet in the midst of this great mourning, in the midst of this great season of sorrow and rightful sorrow, the writer of Lamentations expressed his trust in God. Now I know tonight, a few minutes ago when I started, I just jumped right off the deep end of Lamentations 3.22. I'm coming back to tell you the significance of this. The significance of this scripture is the setting. Jerusalem was taken hostage, her children captives, in the midst of all this debauchery. The Bible says in Lamentations 3.22, it is the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I know sometimes when we read those scriptures, great is thy faithfulness, your mercies are new every day. I know that sometimes we think about that being written by someone on the top of the mountain, this snow-capped mountain waving their hands, everything is wonderful. But no, 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 that was not the genesis of this passage of scripture. In the midst of true disappointment, they said, God is faithful. He's faithful. And so tonight I'm asking you, and I'm asking myself, what, what will we do? I'm going to put my trust in him. And I'm going to ask you to help me. Help me keep my trust in him. And when my faith wavers, would you come alongside me and help me stand? Because I'm just a man. Amen. I'm being very sincere. I'm not trying to find some flowering way to close this. I'm asking us, do we love one another enough? Could we make that same commitment? I'm going to trust him. But I'm looking around and when my faith wavers, I'm asking some of my fellow saints, my friends, I'm asking you, don't let me drown. When my faith wavers just because I'm humanity, just when my faith wavers because sometimes, sometimes I'm just weak in my flesh, will you come along beside me and hold my hand? 
Will you help me through that staggering mile? You know how you young people will make it successfully through school day in and day out? Is if you don't try to be an island to yourself and you let somebody come alongside you and hold your hand. And when your faith is wavering, when you're about to stagger, don't go under. Amen. Let somebody come along beside us. You're not too young to be a an accountability partner. You're not too young to be a prayer partner. I wonder if we could just as a show and a sign tonight before the Lord and one another, if we could just come down to this front. Let's don't just rush away this evening. Can we take just a few more minutes to say, God, help my faith in you not waver. You know, I pray, God, I've surrounded myself with faithful men and women who have testimonies of their own that can... They can ally with me. They can put their arm around me. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh God, don't let me fall. Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, don't let me fall. Let my faith in you, Lord, let it be unwavering. Your spirit, Lord, let it be, let it be strength to me tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.